the likelihood is very low. I mean, I've been there a hundred times. You know how nosy I am. I never open one of those cabinets. I was going to say, you don't dig through the cabinets? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, I got the tongue suppressors out and hitting on yeah. my knee with a little thing. <laughs> I do too. I have to say, I do too. <laughs> You're listening to the Help Me With HIPAA podcast, where HIPAA and humor collide to make learning fun. Your delightful hosts are Donna Grindle and David Sims. Relax. HIPAA help is on the way. Welcome to the Help Me With HIPAA podcast. My name is David Sims of HIPAA for MSPs, and joining me is Donna Grendel of Cardin Compliance. Good morning, Donna. Good morning, David. So we're going to talk about some things that are difficult for you to talk about today. (laughs) 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 We're going to talk about what's reasonable and appropriate. (laughs) Because it's hard for me sometimes. (laughs) I know, I know. Every time I'm with you, I have to kind of... Keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you're such a pro at it. <laughs> I'm just a good old boy. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, that, that's why everybody worries when it's just the two of us alone. <laughs> I know. And, and we have such good stories to tell. <laughs> I know. It's like check on them constantly. I know. <laughs> if you don't hear anything from them, they're doing something they shouldn't be. Well, you know, we have stories that involve. Shoes and pedicabs. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, what we can share in a episode. Uh, yeah, good times. Anyway, so coming up September 16, 17, I will be in Washington, D.C. at the Unconvention speaking about compliance mm. and Ooh. things like that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll title my presentation uncompliance. Um, yeah, there you go. Unconventional ways for meeting. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that, David, because yeah. you've told me what you're supposed to do, and yeah, it's gonna be fun. But yeah. I have see September 16th, so I've got until the 15th to get it going. So uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I on the other hand. We'll be doing the Georgia HFMA Care Forum on September 22nd in Sandy Springs. And uh, it is convenient for me to do the Georgia uh, state um, groups because I can uh, be close by. You know, <laughs> one night away is at the moment. So I'll be doing that. The uh, com- That's a compliance-focused uh, forum that they're doing. And then North Metro MGMA chapter meeting October 17th. Mm-hmm. The Georgia HFMA Fall Institute, November 8th. And Reynolds Plantation at Lake Oconee. And the Georgia Association of Orthopedic Executives, November 10th at Callaway Gardens. And we've nice. started negotiating and looking at booking things in 2018. So... If you're interested in having the entertainment that we provide, (laughs) (laughs) you better get in early. (laughs) Go ahead and let us know. We're scheduling 2018 now. Just so you know, the left coast is already calling. (laughs) No, I'm excited. You know, we're, we're really growing that whole speaking thing. You can go to DonnaGrendel.com now. Dot com. (laughs) And, uh, so we're building that business. Um, because if you keep getting asked to do stuff for free, eventually you would be homeless <laughs> <laughs> if you did it all the time. Uh, uh, so there you go. But I do have to add in a special shout out, though, and I keep forgetting to do this, and 
I have been reprimanded <laughs> by yeah, the car it. of Carden. <laughs> and I apologize to Tracy Red, who is a member of the Carden team. She is in sales with us and for the last few years has, uh, she decided to um, chase her dream. And I'm so proud of her for doing that. She went to nursing school and worked part-time with us, and she got her bachelor's degree in nursing. She's passed all of her exams. She's got her first nursing job. Nice. And the cool thing is she still can work part-time for us because the way that (laughs) nurses' schedules work, it's great. And she doesn't want to give it up because she loves being a a card knight. (laughs) That's a new word I just came up with. Card knight. (laughs) So congratulations, Tracy, and we are all very proud, and I would not be afraid for to let you look at my broken leg or <laughs> my bleeding arm. I would be like, fix it. So, <laughs> Tracy, congratulations. Good job. Yeah. So I didn't want to mess that up again. Well, I'm glad yeah, you got it out there. I don't need any more call downs. Get, get, get you off the hot seat. <laughs> At least off one cheek, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) So so we got a listener question that came in. And uh, Jonathan, thanks for your question. And he asks, uh, can you discuss HIPAA considerations in medical slash academic research? I'm specifically interested what must be done to anonymize data gathered before sharing slash presenting. I'm told that simply removing names and addresses is not enough because an adversary could still use other patterns in the data to figure out the identity of study participants. Yeah, Jonathan, we're sorry that somehow that got buried and didn't get included in our list that we were answering recently. So you get a special episode question all by yourself. <laughs> the There is a specific section in the privacy rule that discusses de-identification of data and data use agreements. Both of those are in the same areas of the privacy rule. And in the privacy rule itself, there are 18 elements listed. And supposedly, if you remove all of these elements from a database, it has none of these in it, they would consider it de-identified data. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, like element number 18 is any other identifying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and those 18 elements, uh, you know, we, we actually, in our training classes, we teach people, you know, there's 18 elements, we give them a long list, and we say, but pretty much because of these loopholes and stuff, unless you are the one that's involved in figuring out what is PHI and what's not, assume everything is. But know that a single element all by itself won't necessarily be considered PHI, so it gets a little bit more... When you're looking at, can I send an age? You know, if, uh, you know, you get an email or a text from somebody, you know, that person we were talking about the other day, how old are they? 54. Okay. Well, that's not PHI. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, but the age of 54 being in the file attached with some other stuff could matter. But mostly what you have to know is those 18 elements have to be removed or, a statistician, data analyst person that knows how to do that, uh, anonymize the data, has to devise the method and sign off on, hey, this way they're not going to be able to fi- figure it out and they'll be able to show you that. 
I personally go with removing all the 18 elements because it gets kind of confusing. And yes, it does include things like the age has to be removed if they're over 90 years old because there's so few people over 90 years old. <laughs> the I, When I first saw it, and I'm like, why would a vehicle identification number even be in patient records? Well, you know, that could be there from them uh, being in a car accident and the information from the car accident report be in the medical records. Mm-hmm. That could happen. You can also look at things like IP addresses. If patients are sending messages and those kind of things and you log their IP address, then that is PHI. So anything that I could within reason, which that's going to come up again in a minute, within (laughs) reason, uh, be able to tie an individual or at least a small number. If I can get that down to less than 100 people, that's too much. That's too close for comfort as far as the law goes. So if you want to find that exact the legal reference, uh, I'll put that link in the the episode, or you can send me an email, Jonathan, and we can give you more information. But if you really want to have some fun, you can get online and watch the video conference of the statisticians, the data analyst nerds, discussing how many ways you could re-identify the data with those elements removed and all this kind of stuff. I found it interesting, but it was certainly not riveting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it's out there, and there's a lot of different stuff. But you are right that there's a lot of ways to identify people with PHI because it's so broad. Yeah. So simply, like he said, removing the names and addresses is not enough. No. Yeah. Or you can just go with my advice, which is start every sentence with something like, I don't know, uh, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, those things come down to, it, get, it, it comes down to what's reasonable. And there was this big debate recently where a physician was telling about in a, uh, a speech to other provider folks about a patient that they were working with and this physician is in a certain area and the patient's age was disclosed along with a very unique illness and so the question was you know now they have identified this individual because in that particular community finding somebody of that age with that illness is so easy so he should have just said hypothetically speaking Uh uh-huh (laughs) <laughs> if there was somebody that age. I heard about somebody else had, doing this, you know. Yeah, and they had this thing. Then this is what. <laughs> you know, and then other people are like, well, that's not easy to find. Well, it's not easy to find maybe here in Atlanta, but in, you know, Podunk, USA, let me tell you something. All you needed was a couple of pieces of information down in small town, Georgia. You mm-hmm. know, you know which one of them it was. Which one's <laughs> their daddy? <laughs> yeah. I know, I know it still happens to you, Lancaster. Oh, yeah. In my parts, all I got to do is, you know, who's your daddy? Mm-hmm. Or who's your mama? Or what house is that? What street you live on? <laughs> yeah. You just give them one piece of information, they can pretty much find out everything else from there. Yeah, especially <laughs> with me. I mean, Grendel Brothers Road, and Donna Grendel lives on it. <gasps> <laughs> Shocking. Uh-huh. No kidding. <laughs> so, but anyway, topic for the day segues perfectly into Jonathan's question, which was completely by accident. (laughs) (laughs) This came from a conversation I had with someone who is 
considering expanding their business into the um, healthcare arena and discussing what that would require under HIPAA. And they said, well, you know, we've read it and reasonable and appropriate scattered all through there. And who gets to decide what that is? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we hear that a lot. You know, what is reasonable and appropriate? And it's kind of subjective in a way, which I think people abuse it sometimes. Like we've made references before where somebody goes, well, it's not reasonable for me to be able to, to afford you know, this new firewall that's going to cost $1,000 as, you know, they're leaving out to go on their, you know, two-month vacation to Alaska yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yes, I can't deal with this right now. I'll be in Fiji for a month, <laughs> uh, and I can't afford that. So, yeah, it is uh, it is something that is subjective, but don't uh, forget that it's also subjective for OCR investigators. For them to yes. go, yeah, we don't think that's reasonable and appropriate. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there's, there are some rules we can apply to that, though, right? Well, yeah. In, uh, so I've, I've gone through, and, and I finally just got tired of it because <laughs> <laughs> where those words were used or where they, the sections where it's referenced, I thought I'd gotten most of them. And then yesterday I was working on something and found another area in the privacy rule where it was at. So finally I was like, okay, well, we're just going to talk about what I've found so far because there's more. I didn't hit them all. But where it comes up the most is under the security rule, as well as determining breaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to kind of try to focus on those two. And under the security standards, you know, it's all about ensuring confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Right. So they always want to know, is it reasonable that it will ensure that? And is it appropriate in your environment to do that? So the security rule is supposed to be ensuring those three things protect against any reasonably anticipated threats or hazard to the security or integrity, protect against any reasonably anticipated uses or disclosures not permitted under the privacy rule, and make sure your workforce follows this. So that right away, everybody's like, well, what is reasonable and Basically, if you tell somebody something and they roll their eyes, I go with it's not reasonable. <laughs> I know, but see, we get that when we just say HIPAA. <laughs> I know, really? <laughs> it's not reasonable. The whole thing is unreasonable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't, can't uh, do much about that. But they do say clearly that you have flexibility of approach when uh, you choose how the security measures are going to you're going to implement the standards and specifications to do what's reasonable and appropriate in your environment and in deciding that you're allowed to take into account the following factors size, complexity and capabilities of your organization so they do take into account when you're one person like we talked about last week and you are allowed to consider the technical infrastructure hardware and software security capabilities that you have, the cost of security measures, and the probability and criticality of potential risks that you have. Mm -hmm. So you can take all of those things, put them in a pile, shake them up, and spit out what your reasonable and appropriate information (laughs) is. But basically, you can't just say, you, you can't just pick one of those and include it. Oh, it costs too much. I, I can't do it. You have to include all of the factors mm-hmm. that says, okay, it's expensive and we're small 
and it'll be hard to do with our technical infrastructure, but it's almost certain to occur. So we got to figure something out. Yeah. And you can't just ignore it. Well, the flexibility of approach, I know that drives a lot of people crazy because they really want, tell me exactly what I need to do. Mm-hmm. But with HIPAA, it's written for everything from a one doctor practice up to you know, major hospital systems. And so having that flexibility of approach is really, really good, even though people don't see it that way when they're trying to implement it because they're wanting specifics. But because it gives the flexibility, we're able to to really do things that are, quote unquote, reasonable and appropriate for our environment. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, it concerns me when we hear about a company that comes into a practice and says, okay, in order for you to be HIPAA compliant, you need to get rid of all of your firewalls and routers and get a brand new server and you've got to put in three servers. You've been using only one. You need three to be. But the bottom line is we're switching them from this small business environment to looking like an enterprise is structured. And Mm -hmm. is that reasonable and appropriate? Not necessarily in most cases. I mean, if you only look at it from the big guys down, you don't see that there's other ways to do it. So the size, complexity, and capabilities really play into those decisions instead of it's not one size fits all. So yeah. anybody that says we have a HIPAA solution, I have a HIPAA issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, more often than not, the when you start making it that complex, it's also a lot more difficult to protect. And so, mm-hmm. you know, keep it simple works in IT too. <laughs> Yeah, the KISS method. Yeah, yeah, we've come in a lot of times and, and, you know, we're like, look, you don't need these things. We're going to bring the complexity of your network way down. It's going to be a lot easier to protect, maintain, easier to look at. So that's something that, unfortunately, a lot of IT people do wrong. (laughs) I think it's because it's somebody who worked in a corporate, you know, IT environment and they come out of there and, you know, they have a ton of awesome knowledge, but it just, they have to, look at how they should apply that to a small provider. Well, yeah, they do it the way they know how. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what all of us do. We do it how we know how. And, uh, you know, I've been in before where the company has three people in it. Seriously, three people had five servers. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, wait, let me, how many are y'all? What? Oh, you know, you got to have a file server. You got to have an application server. You got to have... Your domain controller, you get, I, it was just a web server. Mm-hmm. What? You know, well, yeah, that's the way I do it in a big enterprise environment. There's five people. There's more computers than there are people, rather. I'm yeah. like, well, not even that. There's more servers <laughs> than there are people. So, you know, it's, it, it, you have to be reasonable. So if anybody's trying to tell you those things, find out if it's reasonable. Are there other ways? Because, Often people will say, well, it just costs too much, so I'm not going to do it. Or yeah. it's too complex, so I'm not going to do it. And I'm a big fan of let's evaluate what the problem is. Okay. You're, we're doing something that we know is not secure. You know, my, my favorite story about that is the dentist who had his schedule taped to the outside of the cabinets in the exam rooms, mm-hmm. which You know, that's all fine and good, but there's like 30 people on there. And he did that because he needed to see what other things he had going on. Because, you know, Dennis, they're running back and forth between the rooms. And what does he have next when he's deciding what he's going to do? And that's all. Okay, great. 
And they're telling me I have to look at the computer, and that takes too long for me to go log into the computer and do all of these things. Okay, but you've just got it posted up here where anybody walking through could take a picture of that with their phone. And then they could walk outside and sell that information and make good money. Well, we evaluated. The staff said, oh, you've got to do it on the computer because that's where we do it. He says, I don't want to do that on the computer. So now I've got to carry this piece of paper around with me and open it up. I can't just look at stuff. How about we get a happy medium? There's a cabinet that's behind where the patients are. You know, the patients walk in and they never actually turn and look at that cabinet. Open that cabinet door, put your thing inside that cabinet and close the door. Okay, because you're in a tiny environment. It's one dentist and Mm -hmm. everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. He solved his problem. They solved their problem, you know, but it's reasonable in their environment to do that. It was unreasonable to continue to put it on the outside of the cabinet. (laughs) So it's just little things like that that matter. Taking the time to figure out what's reasonable. It's unreasonable to say, I'm still going to do this, even though I know this is not secured in any manner. But it is reasonable to say that patients never really go near those cabinets. They don't see them until they're leaving and they're up high. So, you know, the likelihood is very low. I mean, I've been there a hundred times. You know how nosy I am. I never open one of those cabinets. I was going to say, you don't dig through the cabinets? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, I got the tongue suppressors out and hitting on yeah. my knee with a little thing. <laughs> I do too. I have to say, I do too. So, but all of those cabinets were over in another area. So, and they have TVs in their exam room. So, but yeah. anyway, uh, you know, it's what's appropriate in the environment and reasonable to solve the problem. So, and it's me and David really are very good at site visits. <laughs> Practice. Cause we're going to wander aimlessly, but. That goes on to say, when we look at implementation specifications of the required and the addressable, and what was it uh, Devin McGraw said, please, I want a T-shirt that says addressable, not equal to optional. Yeah. (laughs) That is uh, one of the bigger issues there is that so many people say, uh, oh, well, it's addressable. I don't have to do it. Now, I have them pull all of the required elements they're not doing first mm-hmm. because I can review the addressable elements and figure out what's reasonable and appropriate. I got a little bit of time to work it out. I can document what we're doing now. How would it be reasonable and appropriate to change that? What other things could we implement? So it is a little bit easier. Required elements, though, you got to do. Right. But how you do it is still based on what's reasonable and appropriate. <laughs> We come back to that every time. Yeah. If you decide to do something that is addressable, uh, you take something that's addressable and you decide not to do it, then you've got to document clearly. Or you're not going to do it exactly the way. You've got to do something. You're just yeah. not going to do it exactly the way it's stated is what it is. I mean, it's, if it says addressable and you don't do anything, then you haven't addressed it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you, know. you document why it would not be reasonable and appropriate to implement the implementation specification. That's step number one. Okay. If it is not reasonable and appropriate in your environment, you have to document why it's not reasonable and appropriate. Then you have to implement an equivalent alternative measure that is reasonable and appropriate in your environment. Okay. So 
to just take something and say, oh, uh, you know, it costs too much or it's addressable, so I don't have to do it. Uh, and encryption is one of the huge things. Mm-hmm. Encryption is an addressable element because there's so many different ways to handle it. Right. The other thing is following up on your risk analysis and those kind of things. It's your maintenance of your security measures need to uh, be reviewed when it's reasonable and appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) You go through and you update your documentation. If I haven't looked at it in a year, it's reasonable for me to figure I should look at it. (laughs) And it's appropriate for me to look at it if I haven't looked at it in a year. So under the administrative safeguards, you end up with uh, that's where your risk management and risk analysis and all of that kind of stuff is. Mm-hmm. So in the statement on risk management, implement security measures sufficient to reduce risk and vulnerabilities to a reasonable and appropriate level to, <laughs> to comply with the rules. So it, even on the risk management piece, it's everything you evaluate in the plans you make, you should make them. There are no cookie cutter approaches, which is good. Yeah. It's just, it drives people crazy. Just tell me what I got to do and I'm going to go do it. <laughs> I know. Especially for IT folks, we love checklists. Oh, my God. <laughs> you yeah, know. And, and getting new IT people, new to healthcare to understand, well, just tell me what I need to do so that I don't have to worry about it ever again, that I can always say that I'm compliant. Well, that wouldn't be reasonable or appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been tough when you... You know, we teach a lot of IT people, and, and that's one of the things we have to do is change the way they look at things because it's not like everything else out there that uh, we just need to uh, get to that point where we can check check it off the list and we're good. And it's, this is just not one of those things, and it's no. sometimes hard for them to grasp. <laughs> yeah, and, and it continues. I mean, there's it, what's reasonable is included in the privacy rule all over the place. It's included to say... You need to train a new workforce member within a reasonable period of time after they join. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that if they change jobs, they are trained within a reasonable period of time. And then we got down to the de-identification standards uh, that we just talked about for Jonathan. And in there, it says that health information that does not identify an individual and with respect to which there is... No reasonable basis to believe that the information can be used to identify an individual. It is really, really everywhere, even down to the business associates. And this is one that um, we talked about before last week about IT companies that are turning in folks who, you know, they're trying to cover themselves. And is that reasonable and appropriate? Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, they're in a tough yeah, They're in a really tough place. So, in the uh, privacy rule, it does specifically say that a covered entity is not in compliance with the business associate standards if they knew of a pattern of activity or practice of the business associate that constituted a material breach or violation of their obligations under the contract or other arrangement unless the covered entity took reasonable steps to cure the breach or end the violation. If such steps were unsuccessful, terminate the contract or arrangement if feasible. And a business associate is not in compliance 
with the standards if they knew of a pattern of activity or practice of a subcontractor that constituted material breach unless they took reasonable steps to cure the breach or end the breach. So again, mm-hmm. it's all about what's reasonable and then terminate if not. So as I mentioned last week, that goes downhill, but it doesn't talk about going uphill. And that's where it gets kind of a gray area for folks. But, you know, it's saying clearly, I've got to try to make you stop. And I did. But then you didn't stop. What do I do? Stop or I'll say stop again. <laughs> but where it really comes into play on what's reasonable and appropriate is when you're doing your four-factor assessments. Mm-hmm. And the four-factor assessments that say, is it reasonable to believe there has not been any kind of compromise to the patient information? And again, it's if you know you would have a hard time convincing somebody of your point of view Mm -hmm. legally, and I'm talking legally, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're at a bar, (laughs) you know, and if you can Google somebody that agrees with you, still doesn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> it's legal. And well, if, well, you know, the term reasonable is, I mean, in all other aspects of law as well, you know, reasonable doubt, you know, comes to mind. And it really boils down to documentation. You know, how can you document that your decision that something was reasonable and appropriate fits? Same way you would document or build a case on something so that you can remove reasonable doubt to get a prosecution. So we're prosecuting our security controls. <laughs> we <what> are. <laughs> or those who don't do it, we'll prosecute. No, really? <laughs> or is it persecute? Which one would we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's you, we'll just persecute. Okay. But you, you, know, you claim that's happening to you all the time anyway. From you, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but when you try to determine what is reasonable appropriate in your environment, mm-hmm. that key element when you go back to the list that they said when you're trying to determine on these security measures how many factors you can take into account the you know be able to answer those questions mm-hmm. you know is it why do you think it's not reasonable to do this mm-hmm. or why do you think it is reasonable for you to make this assumption or take this action that isn't necessarily clear and it's just like anything else. You know, can I tell a, a story and, you know, what is my compliance story? Cause I got <laughs> to have a story. Yep. Maybe the jerk, you know, <laughs> I was born a poor black child. Uh, <laughs> the overall approach to looking at this was if I could allow people to <laughs> be reasonable, then uh, they're going to have that flexibility and be able to show me that in writing. Mm-hmm. It's where people don't want to be reasonable that you run into that trouble. And if they don't want to be reasonable, there's not a lot we can do. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's really not. And it's like you and I were talking earlier. What What do you do if somebody says, I have no regard for HIPAA whatsoever, even though oh. I'm a doctor's office? Okay. <laughs> See you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, here's your documentation that uh, that's what you want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. But I, I suggest but you write it down. It's it's just like a risk assessment. You know, I, I joke around about doing risk assessments all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole appropriate, reasonable, and appropriate fits the same thing. I mean, you know what's reasonable, appropriate at home, and then you know what's reasonable, appropriate 
down the road. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and what's it reasonable to appropriate your job? <laughs> so we're always doing these things. You know, we learned that early on, as, even as teenagers. Would it be reasonable for mom to believe? <laughs> yeah. Would it be appropriate for me to take the car at midnight? <laughs> how how much is my risk there? <laughs> yeah. So, see, we do these things all the time. We look at this stuff. We look at the HIPAA stuff as if, you know, it's all crazy gobbledygook. But we do this in our own lives every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what, you know, I teach a course, the, the format approved course on being a cybersecurity officer and 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 one of the things that I do in the course is, okay, let's talk about what it means to do risk management. Here's risk mm-hmm. management, net, net, net. Here's a road. Nothing's coming. If I told you to walk across it blindfolded, would you do it? Well, you calculate the risk and the gain. You know, was it a dare or do I get beer on the other side or expensive <laughs> bourbon or hundred dollars. It doesn't, you know, so you calculate all that. You just don't realize you calculate that. Did you walk past the chicken on the way? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why was the chicken going? Cause I might go if the chicken's going for a good reason. <laughs> but the, uh, when you um, are making those decisions, part of those decisions are, okay, a car will crush my body. <laughs> <laughs> and I am a valuable asset that I want to protect. So. Mm-hmm. That is part of your decision process. But if I put you on, you know, downtown Atlanta on the 12-lane highway, you know, six lanes in either direction that always seem to be going 100 miles an hour or zero, and I said, now do the same thing, your risk calculations are a whole lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know, would it be appropriate? No, not if I am actually managing the risk and not intending to more than likely kill myself by walking across the road. So it's all in what you value. So if you value, as a lot of people now say to me, look, I just want to do the right thing. Tell me what that is, which is different than just tell me what I have to do so they don't get me. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a whole lot easier to answer what's doing the right thing. And you know, the right thing is to protect your patients, protect your business, protect your the impact that you could have on the community at large. I mean, the community is just as affected when these major breaches occur as the patients who suffer from it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because they may lose a trusted provider of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Either they lose their trust or these folks end up, you know, selling out, going out of business, whatever. And it's, it's just not worth it anymore. When you look at the number of other businesses now that are having to answer RFPs to show that they're doing cybersecurity and it's no different than what is required under HIPAA as far as in the most basic sense. Mm -hmm. So it's reasonable to believe that I should be able to ask any company to uh, show me if I'm going to be your business partner, how you secure things. Show me the money. <laughs> you mean $2 is not appropriate tip? <laughs> Depends on what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to work with a, this lady who used to wait tables and and had one day where the tips were just horrible. And the place also had, it was a restaurant that also had a drive-thru, you know, one of those little country places. Mm-hmm. And somebody left like 
the change, literally coins as their tip. <laughs> and as they're drive walking to their cars, she sees them and runs and yells at them through the drive through microphone. <laughs> 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 nice tip. You know, so was that appropriate? No. Nah. <laughs> was her angle anger reasonable? Yes. It was reasonable to be, uh, you know, fed up with the thing, but the response was not appropriate. So you got to look at both. Yeah. And uh, if uh, you have uh, your documentation in place and you can make these decisions and show why you made them and what things you considered out of that list, we considered how complex it would be and that we don't have the resources to do it. And we think that the risk to data is very low. So we're not going to deal with this this way. Here's what we're going to do. So write it down. Because if <laughs> it's not written down, it didn't happen. That's right. And when they come knocking at the door, first thing they're going to ask is for documentation. Yeah. Well, I mean, Devin McGraw just spoke this week at uh, All Scripts and said the exact same thing again. Have stuff written down. Show that you're doing the work. You know, it's kind of like the math teacher that said, show your work so I know you're not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I always had a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> not cheating? <laughs> well, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> in math, yeah, for sure. Um, do it in my head. But, uh, you know, yeah. Well, that, honestly, that was my problem. I could do the work. I couldn't show the work. But yeah. anyway, that's that's the story for another time. And that's what's <laughs> happening all the time, though. People are like, well, we're doing this, but we just can't prove it. Yeah. I was on the phone with a client, you know, new client, and I was like, you know, you're telling me you're doing this, and I'm not saying you're lying. I'm just saying you can't give documentation to OCR within 10 business days to show that you are doing it. Mm-hmm. You know? They don't care that you're nice, and I can trust you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, something else Devin said was, you know, if you don't have that documentation, that's when we start looking harder and deeper into things. And we'll always find something else. Oh, yeah. And the the lack of a documented risk analysis. And I don't know, maybe it's time for us to do another discussion on risk analysis because we're getting so many cases where people think it's, you know, I ran a report and I got five things on my report. Yeah. That's not it. No, and unfortunately, we we go back around to this every so often, but unfortunately, it's a lot of that's due to the people that are selling these things out there that are really misrepresenting what they're capable of doing and how to properly use a tool. So, yeah, they sell the hippopopopa risk analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a big advertisement you see from time to time that, there it is, misspelled. It freaks me out if I find anything of ours where it's misspelled. But we did, hey, we did find out this week that everything you need to know about HIPAA can be on one infographic. Oh, my God. <laughs> David sent me this infographic that literally said everything you need to know about HIPAA at the top. And the very first paragraph was wrong. You know, from that point forward, it talked about that the reason HIPAA existed was because of Enron and all these other things. HIPAA was enacted. <laughs> Years before Enron and all, you know, MCI and all of those scandals. Years. Well, not only that, but the only thing it even talked about was like archiving email. Yeah. (laughs) So like you could address HIPAA if all you did was archive your email. And it it was pathetic. (laughs) With their tool. Um, It was everything you needed to know. But, you know, and that that just, I found it on LinkedIn, believe it or not, in a HIPAA group. And of course, he 
the guy that posted it is getting crucified, which he should. But that just goes to show, <laughs> guess what? People, everything on the internet is not accurate. <laughs> it's on the internet. I can it, believe it. Yeah, it's on the internet. It's got to be true. Mm-hmm. But even though somebody spent money to make a nice little, nice looking infographic, it was just completely absurd. Especially titled HIPAA, all you need to know. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. So uh, it, well, it, it, it's all about, can I make that argument that that's all I need to know? Would that be reasonable? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Not at all. All I do is email stuff. So that I, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So just when it comes to deciding if something's reasonable and appropriate, tell me. You know, how you could make that argument to yourself. You know, if your job is to decide whether or not it's reasonable or appropriate, what would you need to see? Not emotional. Don't get all emotional about it. Don't get all worked up. Be objective and write it down. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes you, as the privacy officer, security officer, may have to write down because the boss said no. write it down yep because ultimately a lot of these things are just business decisions Uh well the whole thing is business decisions yep and then somebody just has to make sure that they're uh, covered if they make the wrong one (laughs) CYA all the way yep so I think uh, if anybody uh, wants to discuss whether it's reasonable and appropriate for us to be done then they can hit us up later (laughs) <laughs> I would say it is. So yeah. that's our show for today. <laughs> huh. So uh, take a time and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or share us out on social media. Visit us at helpmewithhipa.com and, um, you know, check us out. We like it. You can really? also leave a question. Yeah. And, you know, we get a lot more questions. So people are obviously listening to this part. <laughs> leave a question and uh, we may feature that question on a future episode. So remember for Donna and myself, HIPAA is not about compliance. It's about reasonable and appropriate patient care. (laughs) You've been listening to the Help Me With HIPAA podcast, hosted by Donna Grendel and David Sims, the show created to help you with HIPAA. For more information or to ask us a question, visit our website at helpmewithhipaa.com. Neither Donna Grendel or David Sims are attorneys, and they do not offer binding legal advice concerning regulatory compliance. The information in this podcast should not be relied upon or construed as legal advice in any way. Consult your attorney for legal advice concerning compliance with HIPAA regulations.